Good evening and welcome to Wrestling Rewind. I'm your host, Angel Amoroso, and I am joined by my co-host. Iron Man Tommy Kyle. How are you, babe? I'm doing great, Tommy. How's my girl? How's my girl doing? Fantastic. I'm feeling great. And I hope you're doing great. And I hope everyone out there is doing great. I'm so doing great. I, wish I, I was going to say I'm busier than a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. Um, <laughs> but I'm retired, so people might call me out. What are you busy with? A lot of stuff. <laughs> lots and lots of stuff. And tonight we're busy with, um, we're going to start with a book reading, right? Yes, we are. Today, and what you got for us tonight with our book reading? All about Calgary Stampede, The Hard Family. I would say that this is the definitive book on the subject because it's, you know, closely related and, and done by people right there that came up in that uh, family and around that family and the people that train there. It's just awesome. So, um, pain after you read this, Yes, after you read this, uh, you're going to start reading other books and you're, gonna, you're probably going to put a lot of them down because unless it's historical uh, information like archives, data, wrestlers, areas, it's um, all the same. They get to the WWE stuff, and I'm like, I don't want to even read it anymore. And nobody says anything uh, controversial enough to be better than anybody else because everybody's afraid. You can't tell all. Don't write a book. People said to me, why don't you write a book? I I don't want to hurt my family. That's why I would never write a book. Because to write a book, I would have to, for it to be any different than anybody else's, I would have to tell the truth and to tell the truth people will be harmed <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it you know honest so, hurts yeah so this is the nitty-gritty if you were ever lucky enough to be trained by even at the end when it wasn't like it was in the beginning you didn't have Stu there but the hearts were still there carrying on and some of the later um graduates are out there now um so if you're lucky enough to go there and make it you are probably a success and have been a success in the business for many, many years, unless, you know, certain uh, derailment or some health issues. Uh, most of those graduates all made money like, in the business. Yes, they, they all did very well. Okay. That's one of those memes you could drop around in the business. If you came from that area, you were yep. pretty much guaranteed at least a chance, if not like a, a, a full ride. So and You know what? You don't have to say anything because – if you were coming from there, they already knew it before you got there, which is probably why you were going there in the first place. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. Pain and Passion, the history of Stampede Wrestling. Okay. We're going to read right from the beginning because there's a lot of pertinent stuff in here. Acknowledgements. All told, I conducted... Now, this is the author speaking, Keith McCoy. All told, I conducted close to 60 interviews while researching this book. I also relied heavily on certain organizations and sources. There would be no pain and passion without them. I would like to thank the following, members of the Hart family. Another key exists came from Bob Leonard, the Stampede Wrestling photographer for over three decades. Calgary's Glenbow Museum, a veritable gold mine, which gave me access to its extensive Hart family collection. Special thanks to arch- archivist uh, Tonya Fanella. She had a real appreciation for the human element and historic importance of the Stampede Wrestling story, and it was great working with her. See, here's a, an organization that nothing has to be embellished. Well, just tell the story as it, as, as it happened. Exactly. 
Uh, I am also very appreciative for the excellent work of wrestling journalist David Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter and Greg Oliver of the Slam Wrestling website. Uh, the introduction. When I was 11 years old, I wanted to be Dynamite Kid. Even when he was one of the bad guys, committing heinous acts against my other idol, Bret Hart, I secretly worshipped the tough, cocky Englishman who moved with the agility of Spider-Man in the wrestling ring. Me too. In the early 1980s, I watched Stampede Wrestling religiously, glued to the TV every Saturday afternoon in the living room of my Saskatoon home. When the show was over, I'd snatch my little brother and reenact the matches with him as my crash dummy. Poor kid in the schoolyard. Poor kid. In the schoolyard, my friends and I played Stampede Wrestling at recess, pretending to be the stars of the Calgary-based promotion, imitating the down-home play-by-play plays of announcer Ed Whalen as we hammered on each other. Off those ropes, look out. Nelly, it's a malfunction at the junction. So, well, I should do that right. Off those ropes, look out. Nelly, it's a malfunction at the junction. There so, you go. <laughs> you know, um, I relate to this because that was me. I'm sitting on I'm watching, I'm watching wrestling. Sure. And all kids, like you've reenacted what they saw, and all kids played wrestling and did the announcer voices and everything. Uh, and that's, you know, they later became wrestlers. Uh, I used to drag my kids in my neighborhood. They hated it. And when I hit the one kid with a drop kick and his mouth was bleeding, he wanted to stop. I was like, no, 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 keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's see where we're at. Uh, okay. Uh, I was the runt of my class then, neither good at nor particularly taken with more, most sports. Comic books were my passion, which never makes one of the most popular kid in school. But where wrestling was concerned, I bonded with my class. All the boys were hooked on the wild brawls and zany theater meets sports soap opera that the famed family heart concocted Fame Hart family concocted each week. And pro wrestling was a, was perfectly in keeping with my love of comic books. The Hart Boys, Dynamite Kid, David Boy Smith, they were like superheroes come to life. Every so often, my dad and my grandpa took me to the Monday night matches, too. This is where you get hooked, right here. Right. As soon as you see a live event, that, that does it right there. And especially there. They weren't doing cartoon character wrestling. This was, you know, crazy, gritty stuff. It's like that first uh, shot. Yeah. <laughs> you get hooked Everything. away. That's right. It happens to all of us. We can all tell you exactly when it happened, too. Yeah. Every so often, my dad and my grandpa took me to the Monday night matches, too. When Stampede Wrestling came to Saskatoon Arena, grandpa had been watching wrestling since the 1950s, and he was still a big fan. When things got too far out or bloody for Gramps, he would assure me the action was fake. Although he didn't seem to believe that himself, when he howled with indignation at the wicked villain's ways. That son of a bitch is cheating. My grandmother used to do that. <laughs> my mother used to do that. <laughs> yeah, and my grandpa, honor a bunch of phonies. Oh, the biggest heckler in the Civic Center. My mother would rip her really? belt off and swing it at people. It was wow. quite embarrassing. So did I, but I was a child. But quite that, embarrassing. That, that makes the show even better. It really does. People were invested, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it didn't stop him when they called the pick. It didn't stop seem to believe that himself when he howled with indignation at the Valsworth. That son of a bitch was cheating for several generations on the Canadian prairie. Stu Hart Stampede Wrestling was an institution, a staple of pop culture diet for hundreds of thousands of fans. But the show's influence was far more than just regional. 
in the late, late 1980s. It was broadcast across the country. Now, I never got this. Never got it. On TSN, never got this. Uh, over the decades, bootleg tapes of Stampede Wrestling were broadcast in up to 30 countries around the world. Some of the most famous wrestlers of all time emerged from the promotion. From Gene Kinniski and superstar Billy Graham to Brett and Owen Hart, the British Bulldogs, and current superstar Chris Benoit. Wow. From its remote neck of the woods in Western Canada, Stampede Wrestling helped shape the wrestling world into the multi-million dollar mega industry it is today. Uh, and you got to understand, they were in these remote areas that most of this was Inuit or, or um, Alaskan uh, natives. Uh, what do you call them? Eskimos. Eskimo, yeah, right. These were their, their uh, reservations that they went out. So you're right. talking, there's nothing going on. It's out in the tundra. Even though the modern Mac game has become too flesh over substance, for my liking, dominated as it is by Vince McMahon's media colossus, WWE, I'm still a wrestling fan. Wrestling has always had a crude, trashy nature. It's part of the fun, and I don't share the opinion of my legions of critics, including the Hart family, who blast WWE on moral grounds. Yes, McMahon has upped the trash ante with bottom-feeding gimmicks, beer-guzzling and anti-heroes, overt sexual innuendo, and a bevy of half-naked women he tries to piss off as wrestlers. But to me, the spectacle is not that far removed from the typical heavy metal concert, and I love a good heavy metal concert. Well, you know what? This guy wrote this a while ago because if he sees yes, what's going on right on. now, it's, he'd have some different stuff to say. Sorry. Yeah, yeah no, no. You know, I'm gonna, remind me to look and see when this was written. I never thought about that, but when I just read right. about Benoit, we know it's at least before Benoit. Yes. Okay, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, I lost my... Uh, All right, uh, I do think the game has lost something special, and I miss the heyday of Stampede Wrestling. There was something so pure about the product. Yes, it was showbiz too. Character-driven with the predetermined matches, of course, Stampede Wrestling was contrived. But not early like WWE, WWE is today. WWE has become the wrestling equivalent of the most bloated arena rock concert. It's a slick, larger-than-life dose of maximum Big budget entertainment, but it has also gotten too predictable, over the top of the point of ridiculousness, and far too showy for its own good. WWE is so bogged down by the thrills, the thrills that it has lost its heart. I, I'll agree with that. Uh, I think everybody would. Yeah. Um, step back, um, real quick segue. Um, while watching the new NWA that Corrigan, Billy Corrigan, has put together, however successful they're going to be, they they're not the NWA of old. They're trying, and they brought back the look. They even recreated the TV uh, studio to look like the old building they were in with the flags hanging up, the old uh, NWA logo. Um, their champion is Trevor Murdoch. You know, he looks just like he was a Murdoch. And it's and not. I don't really see why it wouldn't work. The money's behind it. There's, uh, the, the you know, a, an experienced person that was at hand for it who kind of knows what he's doing. So uh, everything's there. It's just about the people that are working along with uh, him. And, and that's what makes it work. Yeah. You know, that's what's going to make it work is, is yeah. everyone working together. Other yeah. than. I can't see it falling flat. It, it sounds like it's it's going to be something to take off and maybe be big competition for other companies right now. At least it's a test if the people will be able to swallow 
a toned down version. I love that studio thing. I mean, you know, these, they were taped, uh, a lot of the stuff uh, in Calgary was taped at this big uh, rodeo arena thing place. So I don't remember seeing any of their TV done in any more than this one similar building, which wasn't huge, but gave you that, you know, up close. Like those guys couldn't miss punches. They couldn't throw a finger, uh, couldn't sell a phantom kick. Right. They would have booed you right out of there. Sort of like a USWA studio where it was like, you know, literally, if you would fall outside of the ring, there goes a fan right there. No guardrails. It was just TV studios back in the day and smaller ones, Georgia even, for NWA, Georgia Championship Wrestling. So so close that there was no room to, to... fake anything there was no room to call a match and you know because you were right there in front of people so yeah. it was it gave it a whole different feeling when, when the studio wrestling yeah was, one announcer that i think it was, i don't forget his name he's been here forever but he was it was so cool because like he tried to give the impression or probably it was true it was like close to these guys on the outside had some kind of relationship like because when they would get crazy out by the the, the desk he would go come on jerry you know you call him by their name like Lance Russell. Lance Russell. Or he'd say, uh, what's his name, the Elvis impersonator. Oh, come on now, Bill. That's not necessary. Like, you know, he goes out and hang. He probably did. But I thought that was so cool. Like, he's imploring them as as a man-to-man in a business. You have to do this here. Come on now, Jerry. Right. Great stuff. I I was lucky enough to have Lance Russell uh, be part of one of my matches when I was in USWA. Super. Uh, yeah. Love sure. Lance Russell. Uh, he was one of the best. That's the kind of wrestling I grew up on and I enjoy. Interviews done by the ring. Everything's right there. Like you said, you can't Close make it. TV tapings. Yep. And they were done in the TV studios, so it all had the same feel. Right, like back in when EC when you started in the original ECW when Todd had it, that was in a bar. You know, yeah. that that was like closest crowd you had the closest drunkest crowd you could get so uh, there was yeah. you know, there was no room for uh calling anything during the match or anything yeah, here you, you can chestnut yeah. cabaret that was one of those places Ch- and chestnut cabaret yes mm-hmm. crazy orders yeah. yeah i did a double dog collar chain match with ivan koloff and we both great got color yes great there stuff. was nothing leading up to it there was no it was just like, why are we having a double gold color chain match? To- yeah, because we feel like seeing it. That's yeah. right. <laughs> I did the best I could, and I think it was a pretty good match. It was great. great anyway, stuff. thank you. It's just, you know, he wants to get the blade out so quick that he's taking it out when he's not supposed to, and you, he's got it on his head while I'm kicking him in the back of the head, not knowing until I saw the tape way later. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, uh, yeah, Uncle Ivan just wants to get the color right away. It, and all those guys are like that. Yeah. <laughs> It's like yeah. the most important thing to them. It you know? was back in the day, yes. For some of them, I think that's why they, they work. Yeah, this, the Southern style culture of the Jim Crockett promotion error and uh, things that came from like UWF error were more of a, you know, the type to need the color in every match that they had because yeah. that's what was really like, you know, the beginning of hardcore. Yeah. The, those guys were bleeding in every match from the Bushwhackers to the Fantastics even. And, yeah. you know, guys that we, you know, even friggin' Jim Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, yeah. you know, 
like that right. we're, we're bleeding every week back yeah. then it was it was about like you know being real yeah. and being able to it made it more of a spectacle right yeah. oh, oh a lot more oh, you yeah. remember when we were first you know watch when i first started watching wrestling i went to the magazine rack 12 magazines at least every month and 10 of them had bloody images and right. that to me that i don't know what that was it was so like so active Yes, yes, eyes wide open, and the blood—it's yeah. like such a spectacle, you know. Right. Between Abdul and a butcher, I think, and Carlos Colon were probably like they were always the back of the magazine, where it was like tons yeah. of blood. That you know, he, funny, Carlos—he really—you couldn't see it. You couldn't see the blood. It's too dark. Unbelievable! It was some like lead, like unbelievable. He went both ways though and cubed it. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, Oh, sorry. Hold on. <laughs> it's amazing he didn't strike an artery uh, as as many times. I think he just probably got made the blade to go deeper and deeper as he wasn't cutting himself anymore because of the scar tissue. So he probably never got to go that deep because he probably didn't start out real deep. Yeah, but you know good stuff. You know, there's something that that attracts all of us to. You know, it's not it's not all of us. It's a certain no. percentage of us that when we start watching wrestling, uh, that blood is something that just kind of tops it off for us in having an interest in it, in, in getting involved in it, and uh, then to do that ourselves. It's yeah, you know it, the influences that... You explained it. I'm sorry. You explained yeah. it right there, because I'll tell you what it is. Um, it, first of all, it's a little bit of a badge of, of honor. If your head, not like you did it just to get, you know, extra scars, but if in the course of doing so, you had some that showed, it was like a badge of honor. Like when the doctor told me my ears are starting to flatten at the beginning of the cauliflower ear, I was like, why can't I get a full-blown case of it? You know what I mean? Like, you know, so I think that's part of it. I was, I was actually told that my scars – this is a badge of honor to you, and this is what making you because I was uh, one of the first girls uh, in the United States here to bleed so and much. You bled. Oh, I bled all right, and I bled sure. everywhere, everywhere I was. So sure. poor Tommy Dreamer had to make a blade because he tried five times, and he, each time he wasn't able to cut himself. Well, Kevin Sullivan and Abdullah Butcher made my blade for me. So I had to oh, make my blade. And, uh, you know, it turned out very well for yeah. everyone. But, uh, yeah, I Tony think. Tony Sexton taught me. And yeah. taught me with a number 15 surgical blade. There and you go. Once you learn that way, I, I did plenty. And they're gone. Nice and thin, you know. Nice. Neosporin right after it. Clothes like, like glue. Neosporin is like glue for the afterwards. So a lot of people don't know that. They do these death matches and they're like slicing yeah. themselves up. They don't you know, they don't know that they could do it easy and not be scarred up yeah. uh, later. You have it on your door in the match. But if that's if you want your badge of honor at the end of your career of having a scarred up face and that's your thing, then no one can remove, you know, that that want and that need. I yeah, I, I totally get it. And reminds me of a picture of Johnny Weaver, who was a big name down south here in the 70s, 60s, 70s. And uh, he's got a law enforcement, like a sheriff's uh, uniform and badge, and his head is sliced. You can see it. Like, like <laughs> what? Like, what? If people that don't know, they must be fixated on his head. Like, 
Yeah, like, what did you go through? A meat slicer here? (laughs) No, there's not much life uh, out there in the working world when you look like that. You know what I mean? Right. I guess if you're a tattoo artist or something. (laughs) Anyway. um, All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the mutiny and sinking of Stampede Wrestling. So they're starting right right at that, that juncture. That's the beginning of the book. Great. Uh, it was Lord of the Flies on steroids. Hmm. But unlike little boys with spears stranded on a desert island, this scene featured overgrown hulks, stampede wrestlers armed with crushing muscle power and driven wild by the scent of blood like a school of sharks, as in the classic novel. They had turned on one of their own. Bruce Hart, 39, son of famed wrestling promoter Stu Hart, looked out on the lynch mob surrounding the vehicle on which he had locked himself for safety. There was no talking his way out of this jam. He felt a sharp, throbbing ache in his freshly busted jaw. Outside the van, which earlier that day had hauled the mob to this arena parking lot, Yellowknife, or Hay River, depending on who recalls the incident, the wrestlers circled hungrily. The wildest of the lot were stoked on steroids, booze, and various drugs from painkillers to cocaine. Oh, my God. At least they're telling the truth. Yeah. Uh, they hammered on the windows, kicking and violently rocking the vehicle, taunting their prey, challenging him to come out and play. Bruce, paralyzed with fear, next to his panicked assistant, the hapless Bob Johnson, a family friend and wrestling Klingon, knew he was in for one mother of a beating. As a Booker and Boss's son, he was the acting chief on this wrestling tour. But there was no way he was going to step out of the van. He had been around wrestlers all his life, and he knew full well he was past the point of restoring order. Now, I worked with Bruce. Smart guy. <laughs> in New York. But, yes. Yeah. We actually, we worked with uh, Bruce for uh, Falcus, was Fal- it? Yes. Yeah. Fal- right, I, I did some stuff with him, Marty Gennetti, and uh, uh, I worked with uh, Tatanka was involved in that, and also uh, Jim Jim Neidhart. Yes, yes. So, um, okay, this, this is, I can see the whole thing, right? These goons had traveled over a thousand miles, coming from Calgary. For a good portion of the trip, 18 of them had been packed like gigantic slabs of beef in one van with no air conditioning in the sweltering summer heat. It was a nightmare for everybody involved. Bruce thought, but at the moment, Bruce thought, but at the moment there was nothing to be done about it. Instead of trying to make the best of a bad situation, those bastards were lashing out, looking for someone to blame. He couldn't believe things had descended into such ugliness, into this cheap hell ride to the middle of nowhere, where the freaks had taken over the circus. His father's Calgary-based wrestling promotion, Stampede Wrestling, had been a Western Canadian institution since 1948, 41 years ago as of this book. The television show had been syndicated across North America and thanks to bootleg tapes had been seen in, in as many as 30 countries. Wrestling fans from around the globe knew about Stampede Wrestling. It had spawned some of the biggest wrestling stars in the world. Bruce's own brother, Bret Hart, was one of them. The famed British Bulldogs Dynamite Kid and Davey Boy Smith, former tag team champions of the world, with another two, ironically, or another two, Ironically, it was the Bulldogs leading this mutiny. Such was the wrestling business that you could be on top one day and face on network TV, a main event star in the biggest arenas in the world, and the next day 
were back in the shithouse, trudging right. along on tours like this one. In a matter of months, the Bulldogs had gone from first-class flights to this garbage run to the Northwest Territories, and they weren't happy about it. So, you know, that's prime territory. For uh, uh. Yeah. Tom Billington, Dynamite Kid, was at the forefront of the attack. He was volatile, malicious, the loosest cannon of the bunch. Billington was seconded by his steroid-raging cousin, the 245-pound baby boy Smith. It's not clear who rounded out the mob that descended on the van, though the Stampede roster at the time, including a young Chris Benoit, who is today one of the biggest stars, um, the Angel of Death, uh, Larry Cameron, Johnny Smith, Ron Ritchie, and Goldie Rogers, some of them may have looked on in horror, half helpless as the scene unfolded. Bruce believes some of the wrestlers were sympathetic to his plight, but they weren't willing to chance becoming targets themselves. Usually the gang would pick on whoever was the weak one in the herd, and all the hyenas would jump on him and start ripping at him, tearing him apart until he snapped and cracked. Remembers Benoit of his early days on the road as a stampede wrestler. Dynamite knocked threateningly on the driver's window and demanded Bruce roll it down. He looked scared to death. Millington recalls in his autobiography, Pure Dynamite. Bruce had good reason to be petrified. It was only a matter of time before the bloodthirsty dynamite kid came crashing through the class. It never happened. Someone had called the police. Bruce welcomed the shrill whine of the sirens that pierced the night. Dynamite, he told, they told Dynamite to cool it, and he started threatening them, Bruce says. He told them to fuck off. He was drunk, disorderly, stoned. He was almost trying to lead a riot against the police. As the Royal Canadian Mounted Police restrained dynamite, Bruce and Johnson got out of the van and headed for the hospital, Bruce's, where, where Bruce's jaw was wired shut. That was a trip to remember, Bruce says bitterly, kind of like the Titanic. I mean, can you imagine? Um, I was in a car with four guys, a big cat, uh, uh, Lincoln, me, uh, Cousin Luke, uh, Jerry, Briscoe, uh, whatever his, I can't remember, Jerry Briscoe, not Jerry, kid in New Jersey that used his name, um, I'm not sure who else. A couple different trips with different people. And I remember being in Maryland coming back from South Carolina and thinking, is this ever going to end? I was having an anxiety attack in the back seat. And I said, Luke, i got to come up front. Hold right over where I was in front. I got in front. Because when you sit next to Luke, you have to navigate. You have to roll a joint every hour. You've got to be on. You can't nod. You can't sleep. Nothing. You know? Right, right. I can imagine. This is, you can tell it must have been verbal. Yeah, um, this is... What fueled this ugly mutiny? What caused these men to lash out so violently against the boss's son? The answer is impossible to grasp without a taste of the filth these wrestlers wallowed in on their journey. The Stampede Wrestling Circuit had, had always been a harsh road. For over four decades, the revolving door roster would do the loop week after never-ending week. There was the Friday night show in Calgary for the TV taping, that's where he takes it. Then it was off to Edmonton, Saskatoon, Regina, Lethbridge, Red Deer, one night after another, sleazy motel to sleazy motel, and then back to Calgary to do it all again. Somehow they would squeeze in the smaller centers too. Tabor, Swift, Current, Milk River, Tisdale, various Indian reservations, any gopher hole across the prairies would do. Wherever pain, screaming, fist-shaking, fist-shaking wrestling fans were to be found. 
canceling shows was not an option. There could be a blinding blizzard. The roads could be glare ice. The junkie band could be falling apart on the highway. It didn't matter. You made the shows or you weren't paid. And every few months, the loop veered out, touching down in centers across British Columbia and Manitoba, the Northern Territories, Alaska, Montana, Washington. They were hit as well at one time or another. During the late 1980s, Stampede Wrestling was broadcast across Canada on TSN, the sports network, and the Hearts decided to take advantage of that, increasingly venturing outside the regular Saskatchewan-Alberta loop. That's why in the summer of 1989, Bruce had booked his discursed trip to the Northwest Territories. Um, also similar to this was Tony Kazana uh, ran up in Canada, and they called it the Death Tour. So it was very reminiscent, long rides, 12, 15, 18 hours in a van with old tires on icy roads. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think we've all been through bad road trips. So yeah, I think very... every one of those was bad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And every few months, Luke veered out, touching Alaska. Uh, oh, Myland Elzian, who was performing at, as the evil Arab wrestling manager, Abu Wizal, Abu Wizal, had missed this particular week, but he knows exactly what would have happened and why. <laughs> I got you gotta now. Get, gotta get back in the groove. Oh, my God! You know what it is? <laughs> it's getting caught on. Hold on. We apologize. That's we'll okay. Back. A lot of stuff happens. We're rolling up on about 30 minutes. All right. So I'm going to, uh, I'll find a spot that we can uh, yeah, leave it at. Okay. Or that we could like wrap it up with like one last story and then yeah. we'll get into part two. Okay. Um, the Stampede Wrestling Circuit had always been a harsh road for over four decades. Uh, I'll go down here. Uh, every few months, Luke veered out. We did that. We did a dual weasel. You remember him? He was a little skinny guy that was dressed like um, the Grand Wizard. Yes, yes. No one remembers how many towns were hit or how many days they had been on the road, but everyone remembers the trip as one long foul ordeal. At first, there had been two bands. The villains or heels generally rode together. So-called good guys traveled in a baby face van. Some of the seats were torn and broken, wobbling in their bases. There were holes in the floor in one van. The liner had been ripped from the ceiling. The cabs reeked with the rotten smell of body odor, sweat, stale beer, cigarette. The odd belch or fart fired into the mix for comedic relief. Somebody had also pissed in the back of one of the wagons. Great. So we're going to leave this until the uh, second episode or so yeah that, those stories were very graphic and uh we're we're gonna cut this off and we're gonna have a part two of this reading because uh we want to get back to these stories about calgary and, and stampede wrestling and uh the hearts very interesting stories that um, maybe you haven't heard and maybe you want to hear. So join myself and the Iron Man Tommy Cairo uh, back next week for a book reading on Wrestling Archives, Wrestling Rewind, on Monty and the Pharaoh, uh, and join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. here on Monty and Pharaoh's YouTube uh, for my myself and my Co-host Iron Man Tommy Cairo, <laughs> he's dropping. Stop using my hands. <laughs> <laughs>
for myself and my co-host, the Iron Man, Tommy Cairo. Thanks for joining us. Uh, join us again next week where uh, we will have another book reading, part two of Stampede Wrestling. So join us then. And until then, have a nice night and a nice life. Good night. <laughs>